Hello and welcome to episode 229 of the Crate and Crowbar. It's probably something like the 7th of March. I didn't check. My name's Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello again. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, Tom Francis probably sends his apologies. He didn't, but I'm saying this for him from... He's gone on. He's from, English from abroad. Yeah, from yeah. his... Uh, He's gone to the... Game the, development... Paradise. Paradise in Bali. Bali. That makes it sound like he died. Um, he didn't. <laughs> He's I just thought, genuinely gone I thought to Bali. game development was going to be difficult, grinding, awful work. See, the thing is, Alex, Conducted for a lot of people, room. it is. <laughs> I said, but not for Tom. Oh, Tom's, no. Tom's Instagram earlier and it's just the selection of cocktails he was trying and it's just basically going through the menu. And I, was, I was charmed that he found time earlier to write a little thing about how, uh, about how much Into the Breach he's been playing. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Hmm. Uh, so yes, nonetheless, it is us this evening, and I believe that we've all had uh, busy weeks and haven't played loads of PC games. <laughs> I have been playing a lot of Into the Breach. Mm. But so have I. Workies. But you've you talked, you've talked, we've all talked. We've all into talked. The break, a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, we've all talked the into the breach. Yeah, I've probably talked all the way through the breach, not the other side of the breach, mm. to be honest. Um, I, I would say, by way of a news thing, um, I had almost the perfect news today for what I wanted to talk about, what I'd almost been playing but failing to play. Um, so I don't know if you saw this today, uh, chaps, but, um, Oculus done a whoopsie. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so Oculus, uh, as in Oculus Rift, uh, failed to renew a, a driver certificate, I think. <laughs> and so all Oculus Rifts died. They all did, including the one on my desk there. Um, <laughs> Have you tried it? Did you try yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I don't, it's not, it's not mine. I, I brought it home for a feature that I'm, I'm working on, uh, which I'm ex- excited about because it's about to be cool and, um, uh, that'll be in a future issue of Edge. So I'll obviously, you know, won't spoil what that's about. But like, so I, this is my, it's not my first time using the Oculus, uh, touch, which I wanted to talk about. Um, because I used it, I think, at the PC Gamer Weekender last year, but it is my first time taking one home and setting it up and kind of experiencing it as a consumer product. So I did want to talk about that. However, the fact that um, I also wanted to hang that off having played like a game in the Rift rather than just sort of tooling about with it and trying Google Earth. Um, but the fact that they died today yeah. <laughs> and they don't work now, um, which is because it uses a centralized service and it's a signed driver or something and it just doesn't work and they need to reacquire that certificate and update everyone's drivers for it to work again. And this is affecting absolutely everybody. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, what a time to be alive. <laughs> was actually a kind of almost a perfect happenstance, apart from the inconvenience, because I maybe something has changed. Because I remember when... We first got hit by, it feels like every year we go back to VR to some extent. Like, how's this doing? And given that actually it has been a kind of the Oculus, Oculus Rift has been like an extant piece of technology for as long as we've been doing this podcast. And it was probably around the same time we started this podcast that we got one of the PC gamer office, mm. the first, you know, dev kits and stuff. And it was exciting. Yeah. And do you remember that feeling then when it's like, wow, there's definitely something here, but it's just a bit inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Remember that? It still is. Yeah. <laughs> but the wire at the back is slightly thinner. So uh-huh. it's slightly less heavy. Here's the thing I, about my experience of basically just setting up and getting started with an Oculus Rift. Maybe this is like, uh, is the technology itself is kind of incredible. It really is like, and it's getting better. Like the headset's really nice. The controllers work really well. Yeah. The, the, the sort of introductory VR experience for the Rift where you meet a cool eighties robot and you feed cassettes into a cool, cool eighties 3d printer so you can play with stuff. And then the world evaporates in a shower of light and you feel like you're falling into it's, it is spectacular. It's a little bit ready player one for me, but it is 
kind of spectacular. <laughs> I, I say when I say it means it's it's a like it's a very specific type of computing enthusiast's dream of what the digi future might be yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way that but it is it looks incredible and there's, there's certainly charm to it it doesn't have the kind of the kind of wink nod sense of humor of the vive equivalent which is all done with like portal kind of gags mm. um but it is it is one of those kind of like wow technology things and the technology itself can be genuinely special. Like I, you know, pulling up the Google Earth, which I hadn't, I hadn't used Google Earth VR. I, maybe people have. I don't know. Have you guys used it? No, not tried it. No, not me. It's genuinely emotional in some ways. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't get that a lot with technology, but it's kind of the promise of technology. It's like, um, it's the thing that can actually do that thing, which you always get in like sappy adverts for like smartphones or something where someone's smartphone is a high enough resolution to make someone's granddad cry you know what i mean that kind of thing where it's like oh it's it's enabled some kind of reconnection with memory or something because it's that's, so good that's the thing that i've 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 so i've been i've been considering i, I at christmas i was really close to buying oculus because it was on offer all over christmas or was it over black friday or something yeah. it was it was just there and i was thinking this maybe this is it this is it i know that my computer can run it Maybe this is the time. But then I remembered that I borrowed uh, PlayStation VR um, off a friend and we spent a good weekend with it. But I felt by the end of that weekend, okay, I've had some experiences, but then the experiences quite rapidly became the same experience every time I put the mm. headset on. Like I felt like that, that moment of emotion as you, as you experienced Google Earth in that way, is that, is that something that you wanted? Probably not. Repeat because <laughs> it was kind of hard in some ways. Like because what it does is so the Google Earth VR experience is, is um, it takes you through a tour which is sort of you know designed to be spectacular and takes you to Tokyo and Manhattan and things like that. And you experience this chiefly as being a giant, like standing. You can either be a giant standing on the Earth, like with the three D world sort of mapped out around you which is incredible in its own way and then you can you can press a button to kind of change your perspective so you're almost like floating above the earth like superman looking down at it so it's right in front of you so it's not below at your feet it's it's in front of you and you can use that to rotate and scroll the earth and then you can also go into street view at which point you are human scale and there's like a beta feature where you can be at human scale at any distance from the earth so you can experience the size of the earth as if you were floating in space hmm. around it and those things are genuinely awe-inspiring. It right? sounds like, like a cool. Like that. And and so, like, you know, as soon as I was given free control, the first thing I did was just drag the Earth and, like, figure out, because there were clouds, and figure out where Africa was, then pull up towards Europe and then bit Britain and then just, like, grab at, like, either side of Britain and, like, thrust my face into Bristol and then, like, pull away from Bristol down to Bath and then, like, rotate Bath until the river made sense to me and figure out where my house was because it doesn't show street and road signs or anything it's just like okay geographically where i was and then it's like okay there's the that little bridge and here's my street and then i found uh, a street view from basically just outside and could look and see the window where i was in obviously it's not live but you know what i mean like yeah. the window five years ago and then i saw myself <laughs> staring back and he said, I'm you now. <laughs> um, no, but like, and that was kind of amazing. And then I like pulled out from that. And then I like just sort of flung myself at Manhattan and found myself in a street view thing of like a, a corner of lower Manhattan that I haven't been to in a decade and suddenly had all of these kind of like, uh, actual human kind of 
memories and sort of slight verklempt sort of like you can't go home again type feelings and then flew back into space and came down in a street in vietnam outside a little uh, university campus that i lived on for a tiny bit and i was like oh fuck i've not been here for a long time now i feel sad again and, like the world is just like uh, it's such a phenomenal tool and you can imagine like a child being inspired by how many different places you can see in the world but as a you know as an adult it's it's you know you can just spin the big ball of regret and land anywhere you want on it it's amazing <laughs> um <laughs> Chris Thurston's memories are a big ball of regret. <laughs> no, no, they're not at all. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, I've got all these, like, I can pick any part of the world and kind of like, I can re-encounter it inside this kind of magic headset. It That feels genuinely futuristic, right? Like there is, is incredible. It's like, it is, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. But I, the thing that keeps just nagging at me is that it's cool, but it's not very useful. Like it's not. Yes, just, exactly. So like, it, it's great and then okay i've done that now and mm. i kind of need to know how to get to you know bournemouth do you know what it reminds you know, me of? i'm not going to use that for it do you know, you know, it really reminds me of and i think this is the thing that kept coming back into my head as i was using it but i think partly because of the slight ungainliness of repositioning yourself in the world do you remember i i think it's a it's a, i think it's either brass eye or day to day it'll be day to day um, skit with the weather and the guy with the huge weather collar on who like rotates the weather collar around <laughs> his own face and he says something like and now we will turn to the Midlands where I was first bereaved <laughs> that was fundamentally my experience with Google Earth VR you also got the ungainly uh, yeah, exactly. like I've got a giant stupid thing on my head yeah. and I'm wrenching myself through apparently and I didn't go well maybe this says more about me than it just says Google Earth VR but um but yeah, so yes, you're right. No ongoing utility, but a powerful sense of, wow, someone did that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously, you know, of course, it's a stepping stone, but it feels like one of the most stepping stone things in games right now. Yes. I was at the PC Game Weekend uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, and I did like a half an hour thing on stage. It was like a Q&A about getting into games media, but it quickly devolved into questions about the industry that I was poorly qualified to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and someone asked, you know, uh, is, is VR the future of gaming? I just went, no <laughs> Dean Lerner from Garth Marenghi uh, but it, 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 you guys have totally nailed it I think it, uh, it feels like a trip to the IMAX for me yeah exactly so do I'll, you want to live in a, a theme park no, <laughs> no I, I'll pay £20 to do this for two hours yeah. and I'll probably do this once a year but I'm not going to buy a £700 piece of equipment when there's literally, you know, for those bursts of experience, like you, you say, as you say, there's no ongoing kind of thing that you're going to log into most days and check out, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, I mean, so I kind of want to say that I think you're right. And I, I would say that for the uh, benefit of um, any of the developers that work in VR games or indeed any developers that I'm immediately going to be interviewing about VR, <laughs> um, I don't think the technology itself is a write-off. Like, I think the experiences mm. can be extremely valid and there's so many interesting things that can be done with it. However... This consumer use thing, because I, I was super impressed with the touch when I played Killing Floor VR on yeah, the, the really weekend. Good. That's that was super fun. I really really liked that. But this, I want to talk a bit more about like I'm, I'm talking specifically about the experience of owning one of these things and having it in your home. Mm. Because um, so obviously what happened today is like an oversight. No one wants every rift in the world to switch off <laughs> and be brick but it, it sort of felt um appropriate because it is that problem where the game has a sort of a central um service that it pings back to that it needs to be able to access and that is now failing because of driver error is the distillation of every single problem i have with consumer of vr and particularly the rift or sort of the, the oculus oculus i guess because um so 
all of the VR headsets I've tried on the PC have the common problem that they are a piece of PC sundering nightmare technology that infests every single part of your machine and confuses every single part of your PC. <laughs> right. You're like, maybe this is uh, like, you know, I'm sort of used to some of this because I have audio equipment plugged into my PC a lot of the time that likes my, make my audio drivers freak out. But like, as soon as I had the, the Oculus involved, I'd, I, I still had Steam VR for running the Vive installed, and those two things started like fighting each other and trying to load. Uh, audio things kept wigging out. As soon as I wanted to stop using the Vive, sound would only come out with the Vive's built-in headphones until I basically forcibly disabled it. Um, you know, everyone who who has is used to kind of like um, building their own PCs or or using technology at that level, or kind of like a hobbyist kind of PC tech use is used to driver hell where things just stop talking to each other and they start conflict conflicting with each other and different pieces of hardware don't like each other. That's like, that's, that's, it's frustrating, but that's something you often opt into when you're into like using, you know, wacky game input devices or something like that, or you mm-hmm. want to get your perfect flight simulator set up, right? It's almost tolerable in the context of enthusiast computer person who's willing to fix every tiny mistake in the pursuit of a good experience. But the other side of the Oculus is that it's a Facebook product. And as a Facebook product, it is hooked into – so if that is the enthusiast side of computing where you take lots of responsibility for your device and the device will probably break, then the opposite of that is like the post-iPhone era of computing where everything works beautifully and is all seamlessly interconnected and you pay for this uh, with your identity. <laughs> like, and until it doesn't work and yeah, the, the, you can't do anything about it. Or, or you send it to a, a, a person in a white room who fixes it <laughs> and sends it back so what how does how does um facebook manifest itself in the whole oculus thing these days sort of insidiously mm. <laughs> i wouldn't uh, expect any other way <laughs> <laughs> um so um so i was maybe a little bit sensitive to this because i uh, had a bit of a kind of um reckoning with social media and and i uh, got rid of cancer i left facebook i don't have a facebook account um I ha- oh, actually this has been a fascinating experience i made a burner facebook account mm. um and this was a really interesting experience um because a lot of like the wargaming societies that i am a member of use facebook almost exclusively for events it's a useful event planning program you just shouldn't have to pay for that by agreeing to have a robot slowly fi- try to figure out what your points of marketable vulnerability are <laughs> over the course of a decade <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not, it's not a- I just want to play some war games. Yeah. Yes. Like this is a useful calendar app, but it is also trying to figure out when I was first bereaved. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I do. Um, so I quit Facebook and I made an account that has no photos is attached to an email address. I don't use for anything except basically press releases. Um, has no photos, has no friends, um, has some group memberships. And it's been fascinating watching it go from knowing nothing about me um, to initially going like, well, this person probably lives in Bath because he's joined lots of Bath and Bristol related kind of groups. Um, and he might know some of these people. And it started to get like specific people right, but there was a decent margin of error. It was like, there'd be like 60 people in it's because it's constantly saying, be friends with this person, be friends with this person. Huh. And it would get to like, it, would, it, it was constantly showing me like, bath spa university students being like yeah. you, know, you know this guy because i have no friends on that account right mm-hmm. it knows nobody um like it constantly throwing people and occasionally it would show me someone i d- did know but there's like a reasonable reason why it would get them right like it was like oh it's somebody from the bristol x-wing miniatures game society right okay fine 
Well, oh, that that was you gave them that. Yeah, I gave you them talked them. to them and arranged to meet up. However, at some point since, something about maybe my IP address, my usage pattern. Well, it'll be if you're logged into that and you go and visit some website. Uh, yeah, they'll have a tracker. Mm. Yes, yeah. it. it is now figured out who I am, and it no is way. only suggesting people I used to be friends with, and that is now happening to a degree of accuracy that is genuinely unsettling. Yeah. So initially it was like, oh, now it's all of the people in like the wargaming society that I used to know. But then it just threw up Pip's sister. And it's like, there's no there link. No there's no link. Mm. There's no link. There's no professional, other than the fact that there's something, you know what I mean? Like, like, and that, so that, sorry, that's a separate issue. That's just like Facebook's fucking creepy. Basically. Yeah, it's really creepy. Um, but, um, so I've been sensitive about that stuff anyway. So I was very keen that like when I signed up for an Oculus account, I didn't link it to a Facebook account. I linked it again to a kind of one-off email. Um, but like when you sign the the terms and conditions, you kind of sign away. You have to agree to let it send data back to Oculus about your usage. Um, you have to, you know, there's it has Facebook style privacy options, which only means you can limit what other people can see. Not, not what it not what gathers the, not what it gathers so mm. you can say when it says like who can see what games you play you can change that to only me mm. but you can't say not you not you know not you you know what i mean <laughs> like um, can you can you play it offline i like, have interest um does it just fun not work or, or does it um i don't so i haven't tried i think it has like an offline mode like steam yeah but i think it needs to like or, like every piece of software you run needs to authenticate and stuff like some of the stuff i've been been sort of working on is like preview software that you need to be kind of like signed into by the developers so obviously yeah. maybe so that's a bad i'm a bad person to ask because i've been connected in order to ping back to that stuff um but it is very keen that you add friends and turn into social experience and this kind of links back to what you were saying alex about like who uses this every day? Because that feels like a spectacularly poor fit to me. Because this is a piece of tech you pick up to try something new. It's not something <laughs> you're sticking on every day. Because it's too inconvenient for that. You just see like little, like people you're friends with, like you can see little graphs of them, sort of like a bubble of them using it over the course of a week and then never returning to it until yeah. a family member visits and then there's another bubble <laughs> of them using it. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, like if, if it's something that um, they aspire for people to have always available that you you stick on to try out a new experience every now and then because there's a lot of software available or you stick on because you want to watch a movie on the big screen or something like that then it, it needs to not be like that which is the ideal of the vr as service it's always connected and feeding information back to facebook kind of side of it then it needs to not be fucking up your audio drivers just by being plugged in mm. the rest of the time. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a problem with PCs, though. I, exactly. I, I connected my PC into my telly like a year ago, and it's like a vestigial limb that and sometimes <laughs> I'll boot up my PC and it'll be trying to play audio through a television that's not even attached. Let's <laughs> uh, just tell it, no, what are you doing? That's just like, that's Windows. Yeah, that's yeah but, Windows works. but like they know what ecosystem they're entering with this piece of software. Right? They have no like, control over it, though. That's the thing. Like, yes, it, I know. It's making all these big things talk to each other but this is the thing right like it feels like a really good dream but it's like mm. there's no there's... i think it's, it's partly the uh the whole casting of um of vr has been experienced like every the only word you ever heard here relating to a vr game or vr things is experience mm. Mm. and like 
games or long-term things are not experiences because experience is a singular thing you know they need to tap into the idea of something being part of your life and where you're not looking for an experience you're looking for a worthy partner in a range of experiences and that's what you know that's what the great games are you know they're not something that you kind of go and play for a singular experience you you kind of like mm. oh i want a little bash around oh i want to play with some friends i want to do this i want to do that you mm. know i think that and they're always going for something which feels inherently short term like you know uh that feeling of being close to something or a a linear or a story which you can maybe experience several times because it has some sort of branching nature to it but effectively it's like a film that you watch once you know mm. and that's 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 everything that i've kind of sensed about the the games that, that are being on the, the things that are being made for vr yeah, yeah. there's a there's a a degree of just physical stress to having the thing on your head for oh, a certain that. amount of time mm. so i think you could have those experiences if it, if it was just on your eyesight as well i mean with, with games with a screen you can look around and you can adjust your focus all the time and be basically unconsciously regulating the stresses that you're putting on your you know on your eyes by looking at focusing on a certain point but you can't do that in vr with mm. a thing on your head mm. you're you're stuck into this fixed uh focus perspective you've got this heavy thing on you that's kind of sweaty inevitably and and hot and uh it's just uh the, the technology doesn't lend itself to long-term experiences mm. uh so it's i, I, I can't I, I, I couldn't use that in my household mm. because i have two kids yeah and yeah. wife and i'm constantly like, needed for something right. or yeah, other yeah, and yeah. if yeah. i'm closeted away in some little bubble mm. um that's a genuine issue yeah sure and like yeah so i think this is the thing i think this is what i'm settling on is like they they've put a lot of effort into solving the problems that come with VR at home. Like the, the, the Oculus, when you first install it, makes you watch a safety video, which is almost like one of those kind of like airline safety videos. And you know how like in recent years they tried to make those fun, like, <laughs> yes. and some, you know what I mean? Like it's got elements of that, um, which sort of, uh, and I think that's a good attitude. Like whoever's idea that was that like, um, VR safety needs to be approached with the same tone as airline safety, uh, that's super clever because airline safety is like, we all need to implicitly acknowledge that this isn't a great place to die. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's very safe and we all want to be here. So why don't we just go through the rigmarole of like making it fun, right? Like, oh, we got to deal with this bit because this is so perfectly safe. There's nothing to worry about. And anyway, you're not going to leave because you really want to go here. So oh, yeah. this is a journey you're already on. So let's just get this out of the way, which is a good attitude to have for VR because that implicitly then... Says, You've already dropped your five, yeah, 400 exactly. quid. We're already going to this spectacular place, so why not, you know, we'll just get this bit out of the way. Don't, don't fall over a fucking pot plant, you idiot. Like, and then, and then like, there's even a bit in the, in the, in the rift one where, um, they, you know, they've done lots of small things like uh, apps are rated like comfortable, moderate or intense based on how, like, likely to chunder all over yourself they are <laughs> and the way this is shown is like with a little cartoon where a man like goes straight to intense and then he's like in a roller coaster and a woo, and he pulls the headset up and he's like sweating they don't show him like shit himself or anything but it's kind of implied and then he like puts it back to uh comfortable and then he's like floating on a space island or something and he's like oh this is pretty chill now so it, it kind of like it flirts with telling you enough that like you might vom but without kind of like enough to kind of disarm it without like 
uh, showing you the grisly details, if that makes sense. <laughs> In the similar way to airline safety video, where it's like, if the plane should encounter a, a whoopsie, <laughs> the exit will are here. shit yourself but <laughs> yeah exactly we'll, we'll encapsulate that with um, your sweaty face <laughs> yeah and i think i think you're right i think the answer to this is just like maybe if that's the extent you've got to go to to kind of make this function in the home its place isn't in the home you know what i mean mm. like um i'm really interested in the ways that sort of um like design sensibilities and ideas from other media outside games but sort of related like immersive theater are being brought into vr experiences these kind of like really cool one-off vr experiences and how vr is being incorporated into like live performance and things like that yeah it's you, super does cool. have interest have you uh on that note have you tried the invisible hours no i haven't yeah which is a very immersive theater um vr mm. there's so mm. much potential there mm. but VR, and that's a perfect venue for it but crucially vr uh, sorry, immersive theatre is something people go to and do and buy tickets for, which is the way it's paid for. And, yeah. you know, and that's a perfect venue for VR. No one's like, no one has installed an immersive theatre company in their home. Because <laughs> that would be more inconvenient than yeah. VR. I think um, Darren Brown's Ghost Train uses some VR headsets. And you increasingly see rides being developed around VR headsets. Air, which is a, a really good roller coaster at Alton Towers, I think is a VR experience now. You put it on a headset and then go on the roller coaster. That sounds horrible. Apparently it's great. My girlfriend loved it. <laughs> I'm not a big roller coaster person, but uh, as you say, like it's a destination experience rather than mm. something that you live. There's this day. new um, Star Wars VR experience oh, in yeah. London, um, and literally my Star Wars role playing group suddenly email goes around like we're going right, like mm. we're, we're going to do this. And that that I mean, and I'll pay to go and do that. Yeah. Like there's definitely a future for technology. Like I saw this in China when I was up there last year. I think I said this at the time that like there was a big, there was almost no consumer play this at home vr presence i saw it all but there was loads of vr because there were vr booths everywhere advertising everything hmm. vr booths that weren't necessarily like i think i said this at the time but there was like a whole runescape vr experience at china joy there it's not something you can play or buy or anything else it was just runescape. there to get people into the runescape booth alongside right. the 12 brides that were standing there motionless as well um i find uh so the my god i've just forgotten exactly what i was going to say that's okay alex <laughs> um no that um so the i i really get the sense that yeah i mean i completely agree that it's something that you want to kind of experience on a short-term basis there's a real sense that that the whole vr at home thing is a test bed it feels like that everybody who buys one is you know just a test bed like the the companies making it know hmm. that this is this is a first step along a very long road and that it's you know it's functional it's totally functional now and you know and it's frequently fun and you know it, it, as, as we've been talking it's arresting and you know emotional for those periods for short periods but i think that anyone that buys one today you are being your data is the most important thing, you know, that's being generated out of that. Yeah. And, you know, how you've used it, what you enjoy, um, the, the patterns over sort of how you interact with it, you know, them ex experimenting with how to talk about it and how to, you know, what kind of people buy it now, what that informs them about with the next kind of generation of people who yeah. buy them. It feels like it, and that feels, that feels crappy to me it feels like maybe i'm a bit old-fashioned and i kind of like to feel that the, the things that i can buy right now you know they might not be the best ever you know but as a games player 
you know, it's funny, I've been playing uh, Super Nintendo games lately and it's amazing just how much they feel totally perfect in and of themselves. You know, you play mm. the Super Mario World now, it's just great, you know, and that's just despite the fact, you know, that, that everything that's come out since has been more and more technically kind of sophisticated. Mm. So, and, so in gaming that, that I've loved... You know, every game I've played that I've really loved has been an endpoint in itself. Hmm. And VR, this just not like every game that you play is an experiment by some developer knowing that this is, you know, something they should understand. Yeah, there's an implicit kind of like, look how close we got yeah. kind of sense to it rather than look what we did. If that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. there's a moment where um, there's a nice, there's so many nice flourishes and stuff in this stuff. Like there's a nice moment in the Rift setup where um because with the touch controllers it's very good at representing them in real time so it's because they're capacitive they can tell when you're touching different buttons if you're not pressing those buttons mm. which means that your vr fingers can move around approximately realistically um and so there's a moment where it says like look look you know it's doing different tutorial things it gets you to look at your hands and then it does a thing where it's like holding your hands in front of you and then it makes the controllers vanish because obviously you're watching them in vr and it says and now look at your magical vr hands <laughs> And the, and the, the <laughs> implicit handoff there is like, you've forgotten you're even holding controllers. You have your hands back, but they're computer hands now. You can touch a robot, but you can't, and they're not. And you can try and like point and do a thumbs up and stuff, but you've only got semi-control over your hands because you keep pressing slightly the wrong button or holding down the different squeezy things in different, in the wrong order. So you're pointing when you want to be doing a thumbs up or you're, you're doing the loser sign. That's what you meant. And you know what I mean? Like, and it's cool and it's 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 like as yeah. close as anyone's got it's mm, cool but it's not the thing yeah. you know what i mean like <laughs> it's a step and it's a yeah. Step. yeah yeah and it's uh, it feels like this is and it's and especially when it's facebook as well to feel that, that you're a test bed for <laughs> yeah. fucking yeah. facebook yeah you know? right. what what do they they not only you know <laughs> have <laughs> stolen me to give me free way to organize um uh, miniatures meetups but also they're selling me extremely expensive hardware yeah so they can test it on me i think i think that's the thing i think this is um i appreciate that we're, we're uh this has been <laughs> uh 30 minutes about why vr isn't there yet this feels like a common thread to a lot of aspirational technology including aspirational games like mm. this feels like like a common thread of things like the star citizen dream which is also in the same category, I think, of like dream technology. There's a reason that space sims, which are so often the focus of that kind of aspiration, where it's like we can do everything, is so often linked to VR because the two technologies are essentially like, how do we get to Star Trek? And you need the holodeck and you need the rest of the spaceship. Yeah. And like, but the Star Citizen thing is like every new, every new video is like, look how much closer we're getting to this thing in your head. And hope, hopefully, maybe, who knows? they'll get there eventually but vr feels like that as well where it's like every big development even though it's super exciting even presented in its best context you're right it's just a step closer not yeah here is i think also with the kind of the games thing is you know like star citizen i have a feeling of where that is going you know like Mm. in, in its best state yeah I have a pretty clear concept of what I want and and what that it's looks like. There are existing archetypes Whereas, that you can relate to, but that doesn't exist for VR. Yeah, like, like I, I don't know where. <laughs> what do I want from this? Like, mm. I, I don't know. I don't really know. I, it's cool, <laughs> it's, but I don't know what I want. It's also like it's a really hard sell because uh, speaking to someone who's working on a game site, you see a lot of numbers and traffic behind certain types of story. And we've we've tried to quite aggressively cover VR at one stage, and it's just impossible to communicate to the audience 
why a thing is cool mm. in text really like you could say oh this is a magical experience but you don't really know until you've done it like it's just it's very hard to bridge that gap and yeah. people don't care like people don't care about it like, it sounds cool but it, it, it people don't care enough to read about the precise experiences that people are creating for it and that's a real problem for vr yeah. well, it's a bit like hearing people talk about their dreams it's, when it really they talk is. About that's VR. a good yeah. point yeah. actually you know um that same thing came up the other day because me and Pip were trying to figure out exactly why a lot of star trek holodeck episodes are so unsatisfying and a lot of the time it's because <laughs> it's like being told someone's dream <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's like <laughs> anything could have happened in the situation so i don't care about any of it yeah, yeah. um yeah I mean, last year um I uh, met a bunch of the uh, guys behind uh, CCP's VR stuff, including like Eve Valkyrie and Spark and mm. those those games, um, right awkwardly right before yeah. all of those studios closed. And that, um, I think I can say this, like that actually resulted in some articles I was working on just get dying on the vine because no yeah. one I was talking to for interviews knew that was going to happen. It just end, you know what I mean? Like the just the apocalypse came to studios that when I was talking to them were excited about the future, but one of the reasons they were excited um, was because those games were finding a kind of, particularly some like Eve uh, Valkyrie was finding a kind of dual life as a traditional game, you know, a kind of arcade dogfighting game that also had this sort of extremely well implemented but optional VR mode, and it could, you know. Um, I remember having this conversation about the kind of exciting potential of that for almost like a, like not being the main life of the game, but this kind of spectacular, um, side show. Yeah. Like what if, you know, what if the game, uh, was a huge success and you have like, you know, a live world esports finals at FanFest or something, but that fi- those finals are held in VR and you're getting the kind of players oh, yeah. in the game that that's, you know, stuff like that where you can kind of use it to augment the experience. That stuff is super cool. Mm. Um, but clearly, I, you know, I don't know what happened there, but clearly there was a decision that that's not the future we're going to get to. So CCP just. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, the, the thing that I enjoyed most on PlayStation VR was playing Jeff Minter's, um, latest game on it, which God, I can't remember what they call It's, it's all, they're all, it, it's a, you yeah. run, you race very, very, very quickly through a lot of primary colors on a black <laughs> space field. Is it in a tube or something? And it's in that. a tube, there are tubey bits Rotating and there are flat tubes bits. And shooting things. But in VR, running at, you know, 120 frames a second, it was just, it was extraordinary. It was, mm. it was fantastic. But obviously this is something that I could also play, you know, very happily, um, and do play very happily, uh, you know, in, in normal, normal vision. Yeah. I, I still love the idea of VR's potential to put you in places. So for example, like the Dota International, mm. uh, if there is a kind of like 360 cam hooked up to some binaural audio, ca- uh, audio sensors, microphones, as they're called, um, <laughs> that, yeah, and you can sort of plug into that and look around and get like the, a kind of stereo sound as though you were sitting in the auditorium watching games, like the, the just simply, um, going into VR to watch a film on a fake cinema screen, the, the sense of space it generates around you, the sense of size of the screen is really effective. Like it's really mm. amazing. Like the tricks it can play on you in terms of scale and making you feel as though you're in a bigger place, more exciting place than you are. And I wonder if like there's a, there's a future for passive experiences in VR where basically you sit there and experience a, a, a wider sense of environmental, uh, you know, entertainment. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, if, 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 if a VR headset was something you bought that meant that you would always get, um, an amazing view of 
I don't know, the Olympics every time it was on. Yeah. Because you were just always there. Yeah. Front row, side on to the pitch, World Cup final. They've set up like some apparatus that lets you just beam into that and watch it. That pitch said, side. I've just talked myself out of this. <laughs> because the good thing about like a live sporting event is the fact that you trade off your ability to fucking see anything for the ability to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> what about the going to the loo bit? That's true. Mm. Uh, that's true could be better I think it could you can just get drunk by yourself yeah (laughs) (laughs) you can pretend right (laughs) because I mean the problem of like watching sport with a perfect kind of perspective and a lot of kind of clarity about what's going on was solved by television Mm. to some extent right like I can watch this man run as he runs all the way around rather than just when he goes past me (laughs) but watching football with a stereos you know stereoscopically is genuine that is good not that I don't know much about football I think think the world needs there's some elements of a spatial element to it I don't know yeah yeah (laughs) I think we need either VR live streaming drones or the VR equivalent of a live streaming GoPro headset so that you can put VR cameras on the heads of interesting people in interesting circumstances and you're buying and paying for your vr headset is your window you rent the goddamn things because comes every month and you just go oh two days of good fun with the thing that you don't have to care about when it's gone yeah that's a good idea as well (laughs) yeah yeah or maybe just install them in libraries Bring (laughs) bring back the libraries yeah exactly save libraries (laughs) (laughs) loads of gurning sort of strange people craning their heads around in the background old people (laughs) we should talk about some video games rather than um slamming on vr slamming (laughs) vr but we need to get around to it like once a year you know what i mean just like how's it doing Uh, same old same old um still hmm, pretty interesting uh no I'm really I'm always make yeah. the noise just make the noise oh yeah we haven't done this in ages have we Alex uh, uh, no that's too that was too no, negative too, that's very much today that's too kind of emotionally engaged yeah it? it's more like ah uh, uh, <laughs> this is pod gold I've missed it <laughs> um have you been playing any games this, this, this so um all I've really been playing is into the breach uh, which i got cross with and stopped playing <laughs> and he's it, he, he's yet to get good yeah i know that you i hate that you basically told me to get good <laughs> i think i've got some meaningfully i did I, I did in text say well <laughs> actually a, actually took you a paragraph, what i found but... <laughs> was, was i just learned the game and i didn't have the problems you're having hmm Oh, no, that, that is cool, though. <laughs> I think everyone has their game where they're just like, eh, actually, if you play it this way, then you're fine. Yeah. I, re- I was, I was typing and I was thinking, oh, this is, this is, this isn't. Like and this. I was, I was doing the, I, like, uh, me and, uh, Rich McCormick, who are people you should always believe when we're a little bit salty about losing at something. Um, <laughs> we're doing grand rhetorical flips trying to explain why something might be bad, though. I don't really want to get into that other pod because obviously we had a lot of Into the Breach chat and, and, I, yeah, I, I have called on it a little bit um other than that i've only been playing uh defense of the ancients uh two uh everyone's sad but it's the best game so i don't want to get into that too much what have you guys been playing well final fantasy 15 came out this week on pc how is um fried eggs on the pc platform beautiful alex (laughs) They're fucking beautiful. The best fried eggs in games without, without contest. The food in this game is insane. Like the, 
how much money did they spend <laughs> rendering an omelette in Final Fantasy 15? It is pioneering stuff. <laughs> Without a doubt. The glistening. I mean, because in Monster Hunter, the food is, is I good. I feel like every time you both are on the podcast, it's just fun food. Yeah. It's because I don't know. That it, I, was, I was watching <laughs> earlier at work, because this is my job, ridiculously. I was watching a compilation of Final <laughs> Fantasy XV food. And it's just simply every single dish in Final Fantasy XV put down on the table, just that bit of animation. And I just watched, I watched the whole thing, just completely fascinating and increasingly hungry. <laughs> And it's, it is amazing. That's a perfect pre-lunch YouTube treat. Can you send me that link for the show notes? I certainly can. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and when it goes down, like some of them are just beautiful rice balls in leaves. And when the the plate hits the counter, the rice ball bobbles slightly. Oh, really? But so as it would, it's a gelatinous piece of carb carbohydrate mass, basically. <laughs> just like, and, and everything glistens realistically. Oh my god, it's the, it's the best food. It's the best food I've ever so seen in a game. It, would that be a case of VR or would be, in, would be, would VR in that context be like some kind of like tantalizing hell punishment? Oh, too powerful. <laughs> too powerful in VR. You would sure. actually starve. Yeah. Like you would, yeah. Your body would just say, I want the food so You'd much. You'd just be I'm reaching out and just clawing at your own yeah. face, trying to get it into your mouth. And, but it's not working, but you just have yeah. to keep doing it. That's, that's the, that's the one slide they miss out on that Oculus kind of <laughs> safety warning. All the people well, who The died. tantalizing omelette is beyond you and will remain beyond you. Like those lights at the end of the Great Gatsby. You can't have it. Leave it alone. Take the headset off. <laughs> the tantalizing omelette. <laughs> Receding uh, ever before us. Final Fantasy 15 has amazing food. It's also a fucking massive 70-hour RPG in one of the biggest JRPG series ever made. Well, the biggest, surely. I mean, it's it's just insanely yeah. huge. Um, it's also a series that I think has struggled in the last sort of decade, really, to really... It's it, Each iteration seems to have run into trouble, and Final Fantasy XV did as well. Originally, it was Final Fantasy XIII 2 or something like that. Hmm. Uh, and then it Isn't was, there already a Final Fantasy XIII 2? There is now, but they sort of <laughs> turned Final Fantasy XIII into a trilogy. So, that's 13, so Final Fantasy XIII 2 What again. was that? What was thirteen two called? I can't Lightning remember. Lightning Returns. Lightning Returns was one. I don't know if that was the third or second one. Oh my god. Were, yeah, on. so the, the series just fragmented and became <laughs> turned into I a I lost track basically. completely because then there was 14, which sort of went, That's hey, the MMO. now it's an MMO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's which good. is actually doing very, very well. 14's really good, yeah. It's very good now, yeah. I, I, I reviewed the original version of 14 for PC Gamer and, um, gave it like 30 or something out of 100. Because oh when it came out, it was a total yeah. fucking mess. Like it was terrible. And, um, my, the last line, I think I've said on this podcast before, but the last one, my, my review was like, they'll never fix this. And then they spent like, yeah, and I reviewed the reborn version of it <laughs> and, it's good and gave it uh, eighty, I think. Yeah, so it was really good. So kudos, yeah. And I've, I played the new one as well. It's, it is good. Um, the, yeah, the MMOs were were cool, uh, but like thirteen for me was just like uh, it's it's got some qualities, but it was an awful step backwards from twelve and and ten and nine, which all had their own identities and all had their own kind of takes on the Final Fantasy combat system, the Final Fantasy that kind of mythos. Uh, and then 13 came out and it was beautiful and uh, had some really cool characters in, but it was this corridor game where you just go on a, on the line down a path and everything is done automatically for you. And it, it was awful. Um, and I was worried that 15 would turn out the same way that it would somehow just kind of get lost in development hell forever and, and just never come out and be good. But what's come out is, is, is a mess. Final Fantasy 15 in many ways is a mess, but it's, um, it's a beautiful, uh, it captures a very beautiful mood, a, a road trip sensation of just like 
buddling into a car with uh, some mates and going across this beautiful kind of sunny world and getting out to murder wildlife for XP every uh, every few miles uh, and occasionally like going into into a diner and the diner will give you a monster hunt to hunt and then serve you some beautifully fucking rendered rice. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it's you're describing that as if that's a genre of experience rather than this very specific experience. I suppose it's quite had. specific. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I really like about Final Fantasy 15 is that it's kind of of all the things that Final Fantasy has done before, it's never done this. It's never been this gentle, just experiential, enjoy the sunshine yeah. and be with your pals. And obviously, there's a world-ending threat and some fucking bollocks plot happening that you you have to. <laughs> go through there's um just incredibly overdressed villains all the stuff that you'd kind of really hope for from final fantasy it's all kind of in there but all of the plot um all the setup for the plot the context and everything you need to know to for the beats to land were communicated in a film called king's glaive <laughs> uh, which is like a cgi film that you know, i don't know how you'd even buy it really it's uh, on netflix uh, is it on netflix yeah because my my netflix recommendations are fucked for various reasons <laughs> <laughs> it came because <laughs> I, I i i share it with pip and it can't find the middle ground between uh, marvel's <laughs> the punisher and a christmas prince yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. middle ground between those two things is King's Clay. <laughs> is <laughs> 15 King's Clay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, King's Clay isn't enough. You need to read the, um, you need to read the anime. Uh, sort of the, the comics. Oh, read the anime. What am I saying? Comics? You need to read the, the manga. Is the, the, that, so that's are, what the kids call it, isn't it? There are some, no, yeah, so there's some anime, um, shorts they did, which basically tell you about the, your companions. And I think there's some, um, comic books as well that also are supporting lore. And you, there's not enough in the game to tell you enough to understand what the fuck is happening. Like, who, who is Noctis? Uh, who's this prince? Who's the king? And why is he important? Like, good luck basically going into Final Fantasy 15. But just, I just, if you, the game basically says, don't worry about it. Get in your car. Drive very slowly through some beautiful places. Uh, ride Chocobo here and there. And just enjoy just kind of being on the open road. And it's as actually a road trip movie as a game. Because really the lovely. Final Fantasy thing has always been about kind of going across big worlds and mm. in a party. Yeah. But it's always been accompanied by the sense that like the journey isn't as important as like a sort of indistinct end which is just mm. the numbers going up yes and also and also some sort of MacGuffin ridiculous threat yeah, and, to resolve yeah, as well ending but then even after the ending then you, the numbers still go up <laughs> they do. Uh, do I do love that aspect of it though uh, no for sure but yeah you're right the, the, I think there are, this sounds like it's actually sort of the, it's the moment to moment of that yeah. so um, in I think it's for te technological reasons Final Fantasy has always had to heavily abstract the journey aspect of it so for example mm. Mm. like seven and eight and nine is the overmap and a lot of the journey you're doing is just like walking over uh, through this overmap uh, and that was really cool and they're full of secrets and things to discover and there's a genuine sense of exploration to that but there's no sense of camaraderie to that because it just can't render that type that and you're only seeing detail. your main character being sort of rendered as a little sort of exactly as a kind of little avatar that represents your entire group yeah. um, and what Final Fantasy 15 does really well is that doesn't compartmentalize that those camaraderie bits it doesn't compartmentalize the oh now like bioware does now you're in a, a companion quest so you're going to talk to this companion a lot or now you're in the social hub at home so now you're going to do companion bits Final Fantasy 15 sort of seeds this throughout the experience that your companions are always chatting to you they're always chatting to each other they're always bantering 
um, you can like mash up a field full of crabs and Ignis, one of your pals, who's the cooking specialist, will go, oh, I've got a new idea for a recipe. It's uh, crabs. It's crabs. It's mashed <laughs> crabs, everybody. <laughs> uh, and the, 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 and uh, one of your guys is just a really enthusiastic photographer and he's always taking photographs of you during, in the action. And whenever you go to camp and rest, he'll show you all his photos. It's just a menu. That That's a up. really good idea. It's really rather cool. than a photo feature that the game makes you do. Genuinely, I'm not joking. That's a good idea. It's really cool. And, and you can take photos of stuff in the game, but um, Propto will just like, it's a menu with all the things he's taken. And some of them are seeded in, like they're obviously posed by the developers and they're key moments in the game when you fight a big monster and they've posed it beautifully. But most of them are actually just algorithmically taken in the middle of combat and the middle of just various kind of bits where you're talking to people. So you do get these like genuine moments of just at ease characters being snapped and you can you can click to save them into a final album and there's actually a payoff for that at the end of the game like uh, you could choose certain significant photographs to take through that is a really lovely idea actually yeah i know that it's an open world game but is it a relatively linear game because final fantasy games are normally like big but there's a line right you, you yeah. go from disc one to disc two right? yeah there, it pretty much is like uh you're free for the most part to go back on areas and there are like high level challenges hiding in lots of areas and um, that you're that really reward you for going back and and rinsing them when you're a higher level um but broadly it's a it's it's you know the one road that goes through mm. to towards the end see because i was going to say like this seems like something that i would love bioware to learn from a bit because my defense of things like the sort of meandery but a little bit thin open world roaming sections in dragon age inquisition or mass mm. effect andromeda is that those sections provide that sense of a trip with your mates yeah mm. that often those games sort of shoot themselves in the foot by giving you a fast travel option to get past the boring bits but actually the best bits in the games when you are walking through some wilderness and the writers have written a funny line for Iron Bull to say at this particular point in this particular map mm. and experience encountering that is really, really nice in the way your character companions relate to each other. But it fights the fact that those games are uh, non-linear kind of branching, you know, kind of um, sort of spider diagram things that kind of cohere around particular story bits that are always the best bits in the game and then expand out again into this kind of like meandery, um, not particularly deep, kind of not particularly kind of invested with detail kind of overworld. Mm. And I, I, I'd love Bioware. Um, I know they're working on Anthem at the moment, but I'd love them to make a more linear game, actually like a game more in the final fantasy mode, a journey from A to B, maybe with some plot branching, but like not a lot Yeah, mm. where they could do like the ideal version of what they want you to get out of driving a tank around in mass effect, but you don't because you just drive in a straight line directly for the next map marker objective and then a straight line directly for the next one. And you don't get that sense of journey because you're just hoovering up to do list items. I don't know how, how much does Final Fantasy 15 invade that and how much is it? Well, it, I think I wish that Bioware's writers were on Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause that's what you're going to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you miss that wit and there's, there's genuine wits Bioware writing that I think is, is special and you don't see very often in group rpg scenarios yeah and and uh the relationship between your group and final fantasy 15 isn't sophisticated they're they're not like i mean they're, they're, they're dimensions there are dimensions characters but they're not like terribly interesting but there's a very simple pleasure in hanging out with them that it captures extremely well and a, a, a kind of a sense of um the sort of one of the main conflicts of the game is that you're a prince and they're basically kind of been ordered to be your bodyguards as you go on this journey <laughs> somewhere so they're kind of 
but they're not your employees. And is, is the, is the transition is that f- going from a kind of prince guard relationship to a genuine friendship relationship, um, which is a, a cool idea. Yeah. Nothing too complicated, but it does it very, very well just by osmosis almost like just by just constantly having them chatting, constantly having not just kind of fall back and rely on them and having them help him out. This even goes through to the combat system where, um, so if you get um, a blindside attack, which is basically when you maneuver behind an enemy to press attack, uh, it, you don't get like Noctis doesn't do like a mega smash attack. Uh, he he uh, combos with one of your other pals to do a kind of combo co-op attack, hmm. uh, and just it's it, it's been so carefully thought about. I think that aspect of it is that you're not the big all powerful sorcerer god thing. You you, every, you only succeed in any given scenario because you have your pals around you helping you out and doing stuff. Uh, and even like there aren't limit breaks. So limit breaks is a big thing in Final Fantasy where each character powers up over a certain time. They get their ultimate attack. The ultimate attacks in Final Fantasy are all co-op attacks. It's the thing you access on the menu, but it's all your pals teaming up together to do a big thing. And for the game to carry through, just like be so committed to creating that sense of camaraderie in its combat system, in how your characters pick each other up and interact in the overworld, and even just all this banter that they have in the car as you're driving around. And these are cruising sections where there isn't much interactivity at all. Um, and you can just switch between radio stations and you can collect... Uh, soundtracks from all the Final Fantasies past, so you can play the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack as your friends are bantering about saving the world and teasing each other, and that is quite special. Actually, it's really nicely done, and mm. it's it's. A, it's a, I haven't seen many games really successfully nail that, and the production values are astonishing as well. You know, it, that's one thing they do. Thinking about that sort of the banter side of it is, um, I really enjoyed Persona 4 and 5 mm. for the sense of so obviously not neither of them PC games but but um you know but JRPGs which are based around like a fairly mundane setting like Persona 4 is set in a very small town in Japan in the modern day <coughs> and Persona 5 is set in Tokyo yeah. but it's like they revel in the everyday that's what they're about and your friends are totally normal people mm. um and and that and all of one's delight all of my delight playing them has is been based on the fact that you're getting to know real characters and again the writing isn't that good from you know from dialogue to dialogue mm. and you know and they're not massively deep characters but just the the sheer amount it's partly it's like it's an, an amount thing yeah, with persona they just say so much but then also you know the, you just get to know them and like because it's in a context like going on a road trip eating nice food together mm. you know and or you know bombing around a little town kind of trying to find you know, sort of murderers. That that, that is a <laughs> you know, friend stuff. This normal friend stuff. It's like normal shit. Secret normal shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's a good comparison actually. Like again, Persona chunks up uh, its experiences into here's the chatty bit and here's the yeah. dungeony bit. Uh, and and Final Fantasy 15 does like disperse that a little bit. But it, it, Final Fantasy 15 again, you're a prince and your dad's really important and what you're doing is important. But actually, moment to moment, you're just like finding a place to park <laughs> and you're looking for the nearest diner so you can order delicious beans and get the latest monster <laughs> hunt. Like it's quite mundane, like from moment to moment until the very end. Like it is quite mundane and very charming for it, I think. Uh, and I do, it looks beautiful on PC as well. I think that they've put a lot of effort into the port if you've got the graphics card to kind of like get it up to average. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying replaying it actually. I think again, like, 
if you, it's hard, it'd be such a hard game to review because like the, the combat system is not a huge amount to it either it looks spectacular it's really pretty it does all this character stuff but it's not really any you know it could be theory crafting builds or anything for your party you're not really gonna be caring very much about how you're developing your characters it's not that type of rpg but as it's just like a as a road trip experience it's lovely nice i actually kind of want to play it now Mm. I, I yeah, promised I wouldn't start any more open world games before I, until I finished something. <laughs> there is a blocker though, isn't it? Isn't it 130 gigabytes or something? Uh, or is that some <laughs> mega That's install? a lot of it's eggs. Enormous. It is enormous. The, the main install, I think, is about 75, but there's an optional high texture uh, right. pack for PC that's like 40. But you want that, right? For them good eggs? Uh, no, I mean, you don't because <laughs> graphics card probably isn't going to run it. Uh, in my experience, um, you could run it on I average. spent a lot of money on a PC, Tom. <laughs> you sit here and tell me that I can't have the best eggs. <laughs> uh, those eggs could be delicious, even, even crazy. I don't, they, they, I can't let myself see better eggs than that in the game. <laughs> it's Your eyes would melt. I'll never eat normal food again. <laughs> no, because I'd have to go and make eggs if I saw that. Like, there'd become a point where it's like, that, I, I can want you that imagine, now. You know? Can you imagine if you, I mean, because most of the people, these people are still working in the industry, so they probably do exist still, but like, imagine being a, like, 90s video game like magazine advert designer experiencing given a vision of what people are excited about in games today <laughs> the year 2018 where it's like you know circa 1995 yeah. look at duke nukem he'll yeah. melt your brain off yeah. here's a bad dude shooting yeah dude. wow two explosions <laughs> and now now it's just like well we couldn't render an egg any higher definition than this or people might cry <laughs> <laughs> we're in a good place civil- I think games oh, yeah, civilised it's, it's good, a good it? place to be <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah chum, bun- yeah chum bans and eggs yeah exactly, exactly. yeah <laughs> so, th- I came here to have a good time with good friends and eat eggs and I've got plenty of both <laughs> <laughs> the Final Fantasy 15 man uh, you should go into ad right yeah <laughs> <laughs> On PC, they're, they're big into the modding scene. I'm not quite sure they know what they're getting themselves into with the PC oh, modding God. scene. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the official, <laughs> the yeah. official, the official mod, so I'm not talking about the eggs they're going to be, the, the modding community is going to be creating, uh, but the, uh, they've put some, um, like, uh, square, like, uh, the developers have put their own mods into it and one of them lets you turn every citizen in the world into a cactuar which is <laughs> like a giant cactus man <laughs> uh, so that's very charming as well yeah uh, uh, that's a that's a fun that's not what people are going to do with it's those just going to be no, like the hedgehog with it, up again out. yeah <laughs> exactly again yeah. yeah that's the that's the future 1995 had designers didn't expect it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sonic hedgehog well, is if, back if we knew that's what you wanted to see we would have done this back in the 90s <laughs> when there was still money in this side of thing <laughs> Ah, good. Good? Good. It is quite good. Good. I've been playing a game. Okay. A little bit of a game. What's that? It's called Beckett. And it's a quiet... This is a bit of a a Yui on the old theme thing that we've been talking about so far. That's fine. Well, you can do a Yui out of the car road trip theme. That's true. You can segue... We're going to put the handbrake on and do a turn. Your segue is into the nature of the segue itself. The world of Beckett. As in Thomas? Uh, It is more like uh, Samuel. Right. Mm. Um, It is a story game and I haven't finished it yet. Um, I don't know whether I like it. 
That but sounds like okay, so, <laughs> yeah. so I can experience. Yeah. So, but what it what I do like about it is that um, it's like uh, they've taken uh, they've it's evidently d- developers who really love William Burroughs, hmm. Samuel Beckett, uh, uh, J.G. Ballard. You know, all the of three those, B's, the three B's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they've made a game about a sort of a detective character called just Beckett, just Beckett, who, who <laughs> Beg your lives in, uh, <laughs> lives in the kind of surreal. Is that like, hang on. I want you what? to back up a bit. Okay. Just the first name is just. He's, oh no, no. Justin Beckett. No, oh, right. Beckett. I see. Sorry. It's called Beckett. Only Beckett. Hmm. Beckett. Just Beckett. Right. Um, Justin Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, and it's, it's a sort of surreal kind of burrowsy sort of ballardy kind of world, but the visuals are sort of very cut up, sort of torn up pieces of paper, kind of denoting kind of rough top down views of spaces initially in his house with these kind of, sometimes icons and sometimes kind of cut up pieces of paper denoting people or things for to interact with and um and uh it's all with this kind of stream of consciousness writing that again like those kind of literary kind of references which sort of explain his kind of horror with the world and it's kind of set in some kind of london Hmm. sort of uh and but but the imagery is nicely done there's sometimes it kind of overlays kind of repeating kind of sort of uh film behind with kind of uh writing over the top fundamentally it's a sort of uh twine game more or less you know Hmm. as you're kind of actually clicking through things but you're as you're kind of moving around the space and it's totally linear but you're kind of clicking onto the next thing for him to come to interact with. And you get this sort of audio visual things happening um, with words and things. Uh, you know. <laughs> audio visual things happen with words and things. But that, that is, that is because it's all cut up and indistinct mm. and incoherent, but you Deliberately know, disorienting it, it, or disorientating, but it's designed to kind of represent fragmenting minds and a, mm. and a fucked up world, mm. but it's, maybe a bit too in love for with its kind of inspirations you mm. know like speaking in as a woke 2018 you know member of 2008 2k18 it feels like <laughs> thanks for grounding that yeah it feels like uh here's the grand old men of the late 20th century yeah he knows that you mean and it's sort of like yeah, yeah and i it might might surprise me later on but the visuals and the feel and the atmosphere have been cool so far. You know, it's mm. been, I haven't played, you know, I haven't seen interactive kind of stories using these kinds of visuals and sounds or as well as this for, for, you know, mm. so yeah, it feels experimental, but also a little bit maybe, mm, uh, experimental in very obvious ways <laughs> <laughs> yeah right burrows did some cut up and now they're doing cuts up right a few decades later mm. how what is the scope of it as a thing uh i don't know <coughs> i'm probably about 
an hour and a half into it. Okay. It feels like middle, maybe, maybe right. Not, maybe but not like, much, um, you know, I've played know. sort of, um, sort of experiential twine-ish kind of things that have been 20 minutes long or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but it's, no, in, so it's, mm. a, it's a bit longer than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I, yeah. Mm. Do you know what's fucking great? Mm. 30 fights loving. I say that to bounce off it just because I replayed it recently to write a thing about it, but mm. you just reminded me of that mm. kind of from that sort of, um, distilling a kind of particular atmosphere in a particular kind of way of telling a story, uh, and, and relying on that happening predominantly in the mind of, in the imagination of the person encountering it. See that, that's the really interesting. So like instantly, like I thought about all the things I love about 30 fights loving and quadrilateral cowboys kind of mm. sort of storytelling as well. And the way that it has such a control over pacing, mm. despite giving you time to kind of explore, you know, mm. um, which Beckett doesn't have, like it, it doesn't have that sort of snappy sort of grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and sort of saying now this and now this and now this and now yeah. you kind of, and it's, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, I, I mean, I didn't want to derail obviously talking about Beckett mm. specifically, but it, it's, um, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a point where 30 fights and stuff like, stuff like it isn't relevant to this kind of yeah. experiment games, even though it's not a, mm-hmm. obviously this is the first, that's a first person game and this is a sort of a, yeah, yeah but you know what I mean? In terms of just like, um, like the confidence with which you tell a story and also the, um, the amount you trust the player to put this together themselves, which just sounds like anything inspired by with those, with the big bees behind it is going to do. Um, 30 flights is like still a paragon of that for me. Yeah. Like, well, 30 flights and like those games are so like altered. Like they they really are the products of the you know the of Brendan Chung and his imagination, and I, 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 there's always an issue with like people directly channeling authors they've read totally and reinterpreting them in a you know a way that doesn't add anything uh, or even and perhaps often fails to understand the original source material in some way mm. or, or repeat it you know without the level of depth that the original texts have. So I mean if you calling it Beckett and then having it be so obvious it's like well just go see some go watch the Beckett and then yeah. which is also like they, that, right? they were expressing their times and like I yeah, think yeah. that that style and yeah, it's interesting I think particularly- it's like it's totally worthwhile and, and fascinating stuff but if, if as a creator you're just going to kind of channel voices from the past without iterating or reflecting on it what I kind of what's the point <laughs> yeah you know I agree I agree whereas like you know Brendan Chung you haven't played. You've never been in a place or a world or a story yeah. like it's, it's a, fr- it's a, those games are joyous because, like, I just feel just that imagination is so yeah. delightful. Like, I just love being in that world and the sense of humor to it and the visual sensibilities of it. And what, it's just, I feel like I'm uh, chatting to the guy who made it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's that real sense of personality in it that I, I super enjoy in those games that I don't mm. get from a lot of these other interpretive almost like art, art project games yeah. yeah it's like if you if you if you're really confident in your art you'll happily put a mode in the main menu that allows you to change every character in the game to jeff goldblum <laughs> or a cactor mm. um <laughs> either of those, mm. those things right like yeah i agree because i think about it a lot because i think um uh, partly because after i've probably been writing the their back pages for pc gamer for the better almost a year now because i started not long after i uh uh, quit my job to live in the woods and that was almost a year ago exactly so mm. um 
Um, and I think I've managed to put every Brendan Chung game in those pages now, mm. um, because, uh, he's great. Um, but like there's a consistent stylistic kind of flourish to all of his stuff that is consistent across his games. Like that kind of sort of sixties, uh, Latin American spy fiction, sort of, uh, Wes Anderson kind of, um, thing that is sort mm. of a, a, everything, including games like Atom Zombie Smasher that have yeah. nothing to do <laughs> right, yeah. with the atmosphere of, of yeah, and Flotilla. Yeah. And Flotilla as well, mm. despite that being set in space, like, mm. you know, that is sort of common to them. But they're so meaningfully remixed in a way that sort of refer to each other, but kind of, um, always put you in a place where you're receptive to what each individual game is doing. Mm. Whereas, yeah, I'm immediately distrustful of anything that kind of, um, alerts you to its literary or other kind of inspirations straight away. Um, simply because, yeah, you, you, you're then in kind of dual mindset, right? Like, do you approach this game assessing it as like, have you, have you gained a sense of whether it is successfully Beckettian? Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, cause you go in with a critical sense that's completely constructed to critique something else that mm. is in a different medium, right? Yeah. Is yeah. it successfully Beckettian? That's probably the question I should no. ask. No, because like, it doesn't, is not going to have that connection. Like, you know, mm. Beckett wrote for a certain medium and this is not mm. that medium. Like, it's not Beckettian. Beckettian. Hmm. So, um, I'm trying to think of how we wrap up on Beckett without, because that's a, that's a, a downer point to end on potentially, but. So you said that, so you said the ASM dad's better, but you do enjoy it. So on the positive yeah, side, what a, does, what does work? That's, it's, it's the visuals and the audio. You right. get, you get a sense. It, it, it's, it is a soundscape. It's, it's a bit like, you know, um, you walk into a kind of a club where they have like an, like, like a, <laughs> walk into the club like samuel beckett <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know there's sort of like a video presentation going on the wall and you mm. can kind of you kind of watch it if it's good and it's a bit like right that. yes i know exactly what you mean an experiential thing installations and thing. you know and there are nice juxtapositions of mm. color and shape and image you know right but ah, eh. I'll mm. play more mm. and we'll see. I do, mm. I do love games that take, um, just have little traces of literary influence. So, yes. Uh, like, um, Kentucky Route Zero, um, Edith Finch mm. has definitely a, a hint of like Garcia Marquez to it, but it's just like a, a little flavor, isn't it? You, mm. You're not, you're not getting a direct interpretation of that. You're getting the creator's vision with a little, yeah, totally. Like, there's definitely a line here that's sort of interesting to sketch out because I definitely want games to be drawn from a more diverse, like cultural mm. palette. It's a, it's, just, a, it's pastiche. Mm, it's yeah, pastiche sure. versus, yeah, you know, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Inspiration or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, I think I guess I maybe gestured to that very early in this, um, uh, pod when I talked about the, um, Oculus intro being spectacular, but a little bit ready player one, by which what I mean is it's designed to <clears throat> kind of delight and impress people with a romantic attachment to like 80s video game ephemera nothing grander than that mm, yeah. and that's fine i mean you know, you know what i mean yeah. but it's like i've been and i've seen it and i've done it um and 
yeah, I think the more games try and reach broader than that, the better they can be, right? You know what I mean? Like, you want... But then it kind of does games down if... And this is, this is I'm not sure that Beckett does, is doing this kind of, you know, badly or, or, or anything like, like that yet. But, but if games in a, in that effort to, to kind of reach out beyond themselves, themselves doing the pastiche thing yeah, yeah. is like that, that's, mm. the, that's probably worse. Yeah. Even if you could look at stuff like Fez, which is, Again, that's kind of feels yeah. born of the medium, doesn't it? It feels like mm. it, everything it does experimentally is a comment on games, not really. It's not reaching back to films or books. It's actually about the medium it's in. Um, but you can have both, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to have both. Yeah. And, and like you say, like there are things games can do in the context of telling you a story about a family, for example, like, the, yeah, like, totally. um, Edith Finch that are unique to games while also, taking advantage of just some of like the maturity or emotional range of a traditionally literary source material, mm. right? Like it doesn't have to mean literally you borrow the structure of the medium. It doesn't mm. mean you yeah, put a lot totally. of words in the game. It can just mean let's think about how a video game might express some of these themes. Mm. And that's, that's more it, right? Like it's more about yeah. thematic range. It's like, hang on, you know, there's no reason games can't be good at telling stories that are about loss or about, um, passivity in some way. You know what I mean? Stuff that games traditionally don't even deal with. Even like genre fiction, her story is, I mean, the, the, the police interrogation is, is one of mm. the most staple uh, scenes you'll watch in, in television, uh, in a police procedural. And her story took it to video games and made it into a totally different mm. thing. And that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think, um, uh, uh, on a similar vein, um, and a similar kind of scope. Stories Untold is a good example of this, where it's oh, geez, highly, 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 highly inspired by, uh, kind of, uh, traditional, or it's not traditional, like, sort of 20th century British hard sci-fi, right? There's a little bit of, hmm. um, course mass experiment, there's some M. John Harrison, there's like, there's, you know, there's all this sort of stuff, it's, sort of, it's very tactile in it, but it's a definitely a video game experience. It's all about chunky interfaces and, touching things and kind of like rifling through papers yourself and using devices yourself yeah um in order to tell that story so that that i think is is a very successful kind of like adaptation also specifically it's not um advertising that about itself like i think i said this at the time but i've always thought it was really weird that that game leaned so hard on um presenting itself as being a bit like uh stranger things when actually that's it's like least prominent influence or even the stuff that influenced stranger things so like stephen mm, king sure. is its least prominent influence right. and some of the other things it's 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 drawing on um but that was a marketing thing right but like that wasn't in the fabric of the game itself mm. which like yeah because i have to admit um when i asked like I, I when i said thomas about the beckett thing i was kind of joking right like i didn't expect that it would literally be <laughs> like, that could be good though <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's an infinite runner it's a very realistic rendition of thomas beckett's canterbury <laughs> <laughs> like kingdom come deliverance yeah. but you're thomas beckett <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd play that i would actually play that i'd play the shit out of that that'd be amazing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair kingdom come deliverance is actually a fairly good name for that game <laughs> deliver us from the, the kingdom the bad dudes yeah. uh, <laughs> right shall we do some questions Let's do it. yes please okay 
Totally smooth questions intro, complete. Tick, ding. First up, and a very appropriate question it is, comes from Kane, who writes, Dear Cask and Oaken Barrel, after the remarkable conclusion of Notorious B.O.P., which was a recent Alex special. <laughs> that was a good one. Please rank an, uh, an, 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 a conclusion that I believe Tom Francis cut a full half hour from. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one should experience <laughs> I've heard this actually. one yes. half hour. Um, Pip related this to me, yes. Yeah, Kane writes, <laughs> After the remarkable conclusion of Notorious B.O.P., please rank the boozes of the Creighton Crowbar mm. by the following four metrics. Frequency of appearance on the show, quality, loss of decorum, and resultant property damage. <laughs> Regards, <laughs> Kane. I thought this was a very good question. Um, so we are right now drinking uh, Captain Morgan's Original Spiced Gold mm, Rum. That's a staple of the pod. This is Went a staple. Yep. Um, so this is, yeah, this is like my pod beverage of choice, I think. Mm, like, very nice. <clears throat> um, in terms of Kane's categories... Um, it's obviously a highly frequent occurrence. Now, if I recall correctly, uh, the beverage at the Notorious BOP was gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's gin unusual. Is, gin is rare. Yeah. So, but it generates a very specific effect. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the two most common were rum and um, old fashions. Yeah. And that is essentially whether or not I or Tom Francis catered to that yeah. particular podcast. That makes sense. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to draw a line between them in terms of, well, so old fashions are a greater quality than rum. However, I do have a bit of a, both, basically, both a sweet tooth and, if this is a thing, a booze tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do like rum. Mm. Do you remember the beverage for Bunvarcheg? I don't. Um, it, I suspect. So who else was on that pod? Oh, I think it was Tom. But for oh, yeah, it was Tom. It might, that might have been an old-fashioned pod. So, um, and then there's, so loss of decorum and resultant property damage. So actually, I would, I would put, um, Captain Morgan's and actually indeed probably old fashions, depending on quantity, are in the middle of our loss of decorum thing. Like this gets us to like a decent place of loss of decorum without going like <laughs> full. Yeah. Um, the sugar content keeps the energy up as yeah, well. It's perky. Helps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, perky, but dumb is the kind of mm. where, where I'd like to end. And it's very little property damage. Property damage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Um, <laughs> so yes, um, so I think the emotions have worked through yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in audio. These are these are our <laughs> By like the end, standard. come out, stagger out, kind of <laughs> spent. Um, Welcome to the Quentin Crew podcast. Please keep coming uh, back. <laughs> well, I think the greatest amount of property damage was when Marsh broke Tom's laptop. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I wasn't there for that. Um, that was, I think, that's a water spill, was it? That was a water spill. That was a post post pod. B- yeah, it was a post pod thing, but it was still like, it was a it, it was like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was what was the booze there? I think that was just like a clumsy. That, that was that was recorded at Tom's house. So that was almost certainly old fashioned. If it's not clear, yeah. Tom really likes old fashions. Mm. Um so actually no, maybe I don't want to put this on a reader, but um a couple of yeah, it was years ago now, and a reader did send us a really good bottle of Canadian whiskey. I remember that one. That may have been that episode. Now you're gonna get loads of kind of gifts coming in hoping no, that's not Hoping to oh, well. uh, <laughs> reclaim the magic. Um, oh, so, but I would say that like, yeah, I'd say that like a sugary spirit mm. of some kind, because obviously there's loads in like, that's our kind of middle level. 
Um, I think beer and wine mellows us out quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's almost better just have some coffee instead. Yeah. I think beer and wine are too mellow generally. We can tell when it's a beer, beer and wine pod. Like mm. beer and wine pod is like you end up sort of like quite sensible, but like quite sleepy by the end of it. Mm. Um, we don't do loads of wine pods, more beer. Like, but that said, like minis monthly is traditionally a beer pod. That's a beer pod. That, that's true. That's. <laughs> How is how is this our lives? I don't know. I don't know. Why, how did it come to this? Uh, okay. Um, so Kane's email was, yeah, like maybe he's revealed some home truths here that I wasn't ready to kind of. Um, oh, I drink a lot. I would say that I, I drink a lot. There's, um, I'd say that um, clear spirits, gin. We haven't really had any vodka pods. Not, but not one, I don't think. like those are, th- that's when it gets messy. Those are well, the silly pods, pods right? Mm. You get into that late. Um, any, also any, um, traditionally, particularly very early episodes of the Great and Curbar, occasionally you would have an accidental double catering situation where we had two bottles of something. Um, you can tell which ones those are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> those are not, those are not hard to find. No, uh, no Sambuco uh, pods yet. A normal no, <laughs> flaming sambukis. No, we haven't had like the Jager bomb uh, uh, pod. No. Like, well, we used to joke that you know when we were doing the PC gaming podcast, we used to joke about doing uh, PC gamer nights, which would be the PC gamer <laughs> podcast where we drank, which is this, which we've now been doing for the greater part of almost five years. Um, so creating crowbar nights or PC gamer nights nights or uh, or PC gamer nights into dreams <laughs> is um, the like the full like kind of um, vodka. Red Bull, Jager Bomb, way, I love you, Deus Ex, kind of 2am pod. We no one needs yet. to hear that. <laughs> no, no, they don't. No one needs to hear that. Um, I hope that helps. I mean, I appreciate it. Came up with us to produce like a, a proper ranked chart here, but, um, no. But no. <laughs> no. But no. Uh, our next question comes, um, from, I'm going to, I'm going to jump this, I'm going to spring this one on you guys. We haven't, uh, I haven't shown the guys these questions. So you're going to have to do this off the top of your head and I'm going to see how well you do. Lachlan writes, hi, Crit and Crowbar. I apologize if this is too technical, but I'd love to know what sort of gaming setup do you have at home? I have an i5, 16 gig RAM, and then Nvidia 970, a few SSDs and mechanical drives, 27 inch, 1080p, and a Logitech mechanical keyboard. <gasps> if you were to ask me what my price possession in that setup would be, it would be my graphics card. As the price to replace it would be astronomical. Close second would be my keyboard. What is your setup and what's your most prized possession in that setup? Lachlan from Victoria, Australia. Okay. How well can you remember your PC spec after Gosh. a bit of rum? Oh, uh, so, I've got an i5, I've got a GTX 970, I've got, I think, like, four gigs of RAM on that, and also I've got uh, a Logitech mouse, I fucking love the Logitech G-Series mice, um, my favourite, my favourite design, and uh, I've got a mechanical keyboard, which is, I can't remember what it is, it might be a Logitech as well, it's basically a no-frills one, it's just, you know, there's nothing around the edges, no lights on it, my entire PC is like that, everything is just normal boxes, I really fucking hate the kind of razor, you know, over-engineered lights on everything. RGB, just trying to make it look like a sports RGB, car thing. RGB, RGB. <laughs> uh, I, I just want just nice, calm boxes that are efficient and good at what they do. And nice, you know, pro- all my pro- all the products I get are like that. I've got two monitors, both 1080p. One is a G-Sync and the other one is not. And that's just like for my work second screen or watching second screen. Uh, yeah, that's it, I think. Alex. 
I have an i5. I have a 1070. Oh, nice. It's a sweet mother. I was, oh, you know what? <laughs> Damn. So I've had it for a That's year a now. Sweet mother. I've had it here now. And I, while I absolutely commiserate and feel that the graphics cards problems these days are awful, you know, with the rising prices and things. Is there a smugness? Is there I a- have a lot of smugness. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it and the prices have gone up ever since, which never happens when and you, you buy haven't something. blocked yeah, a yeah. single chain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you not should a sell single that. Chain. I know. Sell that by two. Money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I realised the other day that not I can't tripping. distinguish Bitcoin in my head from vaping. They're both... <laughs> <laughs> They're very, like one must come same, with the yeah, other. Same <laughs> mental space. Like, I, you know, ripping on a sweet 1080 in a Russian cargo container or something. I don't know what that means. I have, um, I have a, a, a G-Sync 1440p monitor. Which, is it the same as my monitor, Alex? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, and is it because you came around my house and just stared at my monitor? I did. <laughs> I did. Well, it, yeah. And it's, it's just made a huge difference. It's lovely. It's lovely, mm. lovely, lovely. And you just, ooh, the mouse moves so smoothly across it. Mm, my mouse is. on that subject is, I can't remember what it's called. It's a G something and it's really nice. I have a, is I it have, a Logitech G? No, no, no. It's not Logitech. The, the make is um, G something. Um, I've, have a, I, mice, I have a, trouble with mice and i've realized that um i grip it oddly i have a <laughs> you're a claw you're doing I, I alex is doing claw. the gesture of what I'm he's trying claw. to say oh yeah so i need a specific shape otherwise my hand aches and mm. um and i've tried lots of logitech which has been beautifully ergonomic and things like that you know mm. kind of shaped and it felt you know you i put my hand on them and it feels oh this is very nice and then it just ends up aching and it feels too big in my reasonably small hands and um this one is just perfect and it's really nice and it's got a good DPI. I have an Apple keyboard. Ooh. Which, it was like really shallow. Kind uh, of. The, yeah, just a chiclet one. Mostly because that's what I was using. I actually work on a Mac because it's what I've been using to work on for a decade. And so. As a man who works in magazines. There yeah. And it, of- you know, I can keep work and play <laughs> separate. Yeah. So, um, it's from that, but also, Actually, it works quite nicely on a PC. Yeah. And, um, uh, is there other bits? What other bits? Not really. Oh, my speakers. Oh. Audio engine speakers. Oh, I don't and have any speakers. Nice. They're not really nice speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a overclocked i5, a 1080. GTX 1080. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Ooh. And, um, 16, 16 gig RAM. <laughs> Do you mind? <laughs> Only if you say so. Um, no, cause I, um, right before I, uh, quit my job to live in the woods, I, um, put money down for a proper nice personal mm. computing system, partly cause I thought, um, I would need it for warmth in the years to come. <laughs> uh, so, um, and I also have the same monitor you do, Alex, which is an Acer, um, 1440p. Uh, 144 hertz, lovely thing. Mine's actually uh, 160 hertz. What? What? It's the one up from your. I didn't want to say anything, but it's actually the one that's up from Chris's. Whispering. (laughs) A traditional podcast hit. Let's see if I can fix that in the edit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm tempted by 4040p. That extra kind of depth of the screen. It's nice. Like, yeah, it's good. It's a good. Mm. uh, It's it's like you can make the nice graphics, yeah, but see the smaller pixels and do the fast frames. Yeah, the, and the fast frames. And like, um, yeah, like I really like the balance between like being a little bit higher res, but also, um, like getting that sweet, sweet, sweet refresh rate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
very much, yeah, still runs everything perfectly, and that's sort of been really nice. And this was actually a pre-build. Like, this is my first kind of venture into... Oh, yeah. uh, I got my PC from Scan, and I was very impressed with their service, partly because, like, um, I think I didn't... I wasn't in the position that I had traditionally been in for the previous, like every year of my life as someone who liked PCs, which is having to save up and buy each component individually because that's the only way it made sense financially. Mm. Being able to put the money down um, for someone to make it good for me was actually a huge relief. Um, I definitely defend people buying pre-built PCs um, if that's the right choice because totally, like, I've done it enough times. <coughs> I don't need the experience of building another PC. <laughs> yeah. I very much welcome <clears throat> the experience of having someone else do it for me, someone else test it, and a someone else guarantee it. person. Yeah. A white-gloved <laughs> professional. Yeah, and someone mm. else guarantee it. That that was yeah, a yeah. huge, a cool. huge thing, particularly given that it's um, overclocked. So that's nice to have it properly tested. Yeah, and cool, it's been very, very consistent. Uh, this might be the first time we've ever talked about hardware. On the it might be. Um, After all these years. Yeah. In terms just, of- just listen to the gusto suddenly it's all flowing out isn't yeah. it this, you know yeah um and and so in terms of peripherals um, love specs i, I use a wearing them <laughs> sorry gentlemen i'm trying to talk about mice here yes uh <laughs> i do i use a, G, a logitech g302 mouse which i really really like i'm left-handed um it's pulsing it is it likes to throb which is a little throbbing. bit strange but like it's not mm. it's not the most egregious throbbing does it do seen. other colors uh that's a nice color i, I don't I think so i don't think so um if so if it did i'd probably switch it to match my keyboard which is red um but uh i like it because i tend to like small mice because small hands i'm not a, a claw man i'm a flat handed i'm a flat-handed mouseman as they say in computer land and um, what kind of a mouseman are you tom i i never especially analyzed it imagine it imagine you're holding a mouse right now so always oh, a bit of a claw is it a, oh, it's probably a bit of a claw isn't it maybe actually hang but on but i like a bit of touch on the palm you know okay. so i like logitech which are quite bulbous at the palm <laughs> the so there's claw. a little bit of rest rest capability there and then but the claw can suspend and create a he's fast both he's in a hybrid i'm a hybrid <laughs> that's it i'm like the fly <laughs> exactly um cronenberg um, creature yeah <laughs> can't design for me <laughs> well that's what it's like being left-handed and, <laughs> and, I, and so i've tried left-handed mice and often um because i actually don't like um years of using kind of like a like symmetrical mice right um as made me kind of like i don't like crazy bendy fits to your hand mice anyway and the left-handed mice have always tried to be weird. So this one's nice, even though it does have right-handed buttons, um, just because they're unobtrusive enough that I don't, mm. I can ignore them. Um, this, this does remind me, uh, a pod anecdote, like from very, very early on where we were recording in Marsh's graveyard still, there's a conversation about, <laughs> it came up for some reason about, uh, replacement mouse feet, which is apparently a thing you could buy, and Marsh just stopped the podcast. It was like, we're not talking about mouse feet. <laughs> like, we're not going to do Where this. are you now, Marsh? <laughs> and now Sweet. Marsh is gone. Look, yeah. look at us now. Yeah, like Unleash all our mouse thoughts. <laughs> I'm recording the podcast in what used to be your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about all the mice feet we want. The thing is, you found his secret stash of mice feet in the last three minutes. Oh God, I wish, I'd, I wish that was the stash I'd found. <laughs> no, actually, that's basically liable. I haven't found anything. <laughs> <laughs> um no <laughs> yeah but my price position is the monitor because it was very expensive mm. even though it's not as good it's as really ridiculously expensive i i was like i, I bought a pc and people. then i added 50 percent of the value of that yeah. pc again <laughs> I was, I, i'm sure this is going to take make a difference over the long run i and tell you does. when you buy it you're going to think 
why did I wait so long? Hmm. I tell you what, They'll like, be, if you are be. a VR game developer and you're a little bit annoyed at me for what I said earlier in this podcast, then take consolation in that I'm only bitter because I spent north of £500 on a flat screen <laughs> that only allows me to view the computing experiences of the present rather than the <laughs> nauseating experiences of the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make me feel a lot better, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, our next question comes from Josh, who writes, Dear Crate and Crowbar, I'm a frequent sufferer of one more turn syndrome. Sometimes starting up a game thinking that I'm just going to put in an hour, play a few rounds only to discover that two in the morning and I have to get up for work the next day. My question for you, therefore, is how do you set boundaries on your game playing time and keep them? All the best, Josh. I, I don't. I don't think you can. Reasonable hours. Hmm. I, I, sometimes I would sort of do the oh, I've made a mistake. I'll just play on to see what happens because I know that this is going to end quite quickly. It's a total lie to myself because I know that the, oh, yeah. the, the problem wasn't that bad mm. and that I end up sort of, you know, having good things happen and that becomes like the game, you know, the the the, 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 the canon mm. for that playthrough. Hmm. I think I, it's like uh, part of the the job of covering games means that you're, you have to play games out of hours all the time. And we like generally don't play games in hours hardly ever. Mm. Um, and so actually you do have to like, uh, this is an, uh, an Owen, uh, an Owen phrase, poop sock, uh, <laughs> games to actually get into them. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to explore the origins of that phrase. Uh, but long term, <laughs> this is the PC Gamer podcast and the great global will, will recognize the term. Uh, but yeah, I think like, stopping yourself from getting into the meat of the game it's almost like you're trained out of it like you have to like keep going and find the thing and then once you found the thing to write about then perhaps you can stop mm. i haven't had this problem as much in the last couple of years i've become a very early riser and a consequence of that is that i tend to get very sleepy so i don't tend like in the evenings so i don't tend to be like the sort of person that i haven't it's been a long time since the game has like taken me like kept me up till really late actually it's not a super long time because subnautica did this i got really into subnautica mm. one weekend um, and that had that real, like, oh God, it's super late. But that was a novel experience because it had been genuinely several years since that had happened. Yeah. Um, I do find, like, I have some rules for, like, um, given that I play a lot of multiplayer games, if I win a game of Dota or whatever it is I'm playing and it is in any way close to bedtime, like north of 10 p.m., I stop. Because the next one could just make you sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a good way of controlling session length. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, that went well. Time mm. to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel the same way about, like, um, I do get drawn into, like, um, Total Wars for, like, big chunks of weekend at a time. And I like to sort of, in those cases, actually slightly different. I like to wait till, like, a really big setback. Like when a really yeah, big setback, setback happens, hmm. um, feel the same way about Into the Breach as well, actually. Yeah. Having played an intense amount of that game in a very short space of time after it came out, when something goes really badly wrong, I'll just quit for a bit. Cause the temptation is to fix it, but then you get into that like failure spiral where it's like you just go away and then you come back later and yeah. everything kind of flows better. That's a good way of kind of avoiding. Cause I think a lot of that one more turn thing comes from like, I can make this slightly better if I just play another turn and then I'll be in a better place to leave it. But then you don't leave it. Yeah, there's I, a, there's a different yeah. kind of game that I, so the, the the games that have got me like that recently have been Monster Hunter World. Oh yes, 
and I've been playing this again. This is not a PC game, uh, but um, Tactics Ogre, which is a oh, old yeah, yeah. tactics game. I played that. It's great. Um, which has got a really nice version on PSP. Mm. And um, those are both games where you play like a chunk of real game and then you do fuck loads of tinkering afterwards <laughs> like oh i'll see what i can craft now with my new dinosaur bones and dinosaur skins and things mm. or like what skills have i unlocked in the tactics game that i can apply to the characters and like that tinkering can fill <laughs> it's like a balloon like pfft, like time just drips through that you kind of think oh, the main part of the game is going out on the hunts or doing the mm. battles, but actually, nope, it's fucking around oh, in menus. Yeah. Especially, like, thinking about, oh, what I really want to hunt is this creature in Monster Hunter World. So in that, in order to hunt this really efficiently, I need to build this set that makes me really good against that creature. So I actually need to kill these other three creatures to get the stuff for that. And then suddenly... You're in the loot spiral. Yeah. You're in the loot funnel. And yeah, you go, uh, oh, if I was just going to make a new pair of trousers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talked about this a bunch at the time, but this is actually the thing that I admired about Destiny 2 for all of its travails. Mm. Is that like, that was the, the first Destiny was a game that I lost a tremendous amount of time to. And the second one was so reasonable. With <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like, you're done totally, for the day. Yeah, like, yeah. you've done all your daily stuff. You've done every, the weekly stuff even. You're kind of done for now. Just go live your life. Yeah. Be free. Read a book. You know, kiss a puppy, like throw a pigeon yeah, in the air, like true. all of the great things of life. I haven't seen Dead Poets Society. The, the, like the all of those of things. Like actually, I feel, oh, this is empty. There's not enough yeah. stupid yeah. shit that means nothing. Internet was outraged. <laughs> yeah, whereas in the original one, it was it was like find some f- fucking moon cobalt, you prick. You could be finding on a patrol, spend Um, ages running around doing shitty things. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, yeah, and like I respected it for that tremendously because it let me stop. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I didn't though. I'd still kind of piddle about. Yeah. In yes, and 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 it's been rightly dragged over the coals for its unsatisfactory piddling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Our next question comes from Matthias, who writes. Hiya, this has been touched in some similar ways before, but what are your, what are the, I love the way this has been worded, and it's mm. been on a specific attention to the way this has been worded. What are the, what are the personal ramifications of having played so many different games in your life oh, compared to almost anyone <laughs> oh, who's not been a gaming journalist or critic? Cheers, oh, Matthias. I, I just want to run that again. The personal ramifications of having played so many games in your life compared to almost anyone <laughs> who's not been a gaming journalist. Um, I don't think that's entirely fair. I think a lot of people play a lot of games. Uh, it's just that... We're monetizing it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. For personal gain. <laughs> <laughs> we've become we've become withered and cynical and hate games and everything about them. No, that's not true. It's not true at all. But the I think a lot of people play games a lot more like a lot of people can pour more hours into games but they often pour them into like one game whereas i think in our profession we tend to have to move around games a lot yeah you have to be able to like you touched on it earlier you have to be able to you know it's a consequence of having to train yourself to figure out the story of a game mm. whether that's something that happens to you in the game whether that's something about the production of the game whether that's something critically wrong or right about the What's game an angle on it basically. very quickly yeah, yeah. what is the angle very 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 quickly and um you know slightly behind the curtain things but that's probably one of the reasons why quite a lot of times on this podcast you'll hear one of us talk about a game that they have played for half an hour but kind of figured that out 
somewhat. Yeah, they got the angle yeah. and they went yeah. something else. Um, and that's not to say that games don't warrant further investigation or anything like that. It's just that you train yourself to get, get that thing about it. What's interesting right. about this? Because you've um, got to keep up. And like games yeah. outlets have very small teams and there are more and more games than ever being released. Mm. So increasingly you're going to have to like encounter something, get an angle and you know, watch and it out basically. And I think like it's actually really hard to train yourself out of that. And I think one of the big um, casualties of this is open world games mm. uh, for me personally, because like I find, like I really find them interesting and I really want to get into them. And I remember like really, really enjoying horizon zero dawn, but playing it basically to the point where I got it. And then stopping mm. because not because like, obviously if I was reviewing it, I would finish it. That's, mm. you know, with any story, course, story yeah, different yeah. thing, that's think what you try and do. But if I was just playing enough of it so that I could have an opinion on it or, or contribute thoughts about how we might cover it or something like that, then I played the 10 hours that takes to get to that point with it. And it's really hard to push beyond that because I've hit the kind of professional I can do work based on this now bar in my mind. And yeah. it's really hard to then get into the, but, I'm doing this for entertainment mode. But it does hurt some games as well. Like, um, I'm covering Shroud of the Avatar this week and then embargoed on some specifics, but more broadly, I can say that like your, my first experiences with the game didn't give any hint of the mm. things that were actually happening further within the game in terms of the user created stuff and the the things that community were able to do in the game until I actually, you know, experienced it with developers. Uh, and, and that is kind of like a, well, that's why we use freelancers basically. Like we go to freelancers who are already embedded in communities to actually try and get, generate some of that knowledge, but it does affect the way that we <laughs> play games. I think. And I think also like appreciation, like, uh, it is very different to buy a game mm. to, than to, you know, re- play the review copy, you know, or whatever. Sure. I think just an effect. So I, you know, because I write mostly about PC games, um, the games I play on console, I've generally bought and I have a very different relationship with them. Mm. I kind of tend to want to rinse them, get more value out of them. Yeah, that's certainly true that, um, so like I didn't really touch consoles for years after starting work at PC Gamer because it was really, really focused. And then I remember I was writing the better part of 20,000 words about World War Two aircraft for an unnamed video game that will be very obvious <laughs> in terms of what I was covering at the time. Um, and I desperately needed an outlet. So I started playing Dark Souls on the Xbox and I was like, I can go and play a game on the console downstairs. And it's suddenly fun again because my <laughs> PC has become a terrifying place of work or like terrifying, but like draining place of work. And there's a definitely a through line from there to me enjoying Destiny 1 so much because it was this console game that I could escape to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as a kind of like maybe to try and take a kind of learning from this um beyond simply like because whenever we talk about like the specifics of being a games journalist or the travails of being a games journalist like literally a red sign starts flashing in my mind that says some people are firemen um, <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's, that's a constant flashing light yes exactly yeah um it, that's the other side yeah. of being a but course, like yeah, yeah. but in the sense of broad learning i do think like it's been really interesting. So, um, today, this isn't going to give anything away about the future of the game, but like Hackmad, the game that I'm, I'm, I work on and have been working on for almost a year now. Um, today I kind of did something I've been meaning to do for ages and I sat down and rewrote our Steam page. Those changes aren't in effect yet, but they will be relatively soon. And, um, and I would say that like that gave me an appreciation for like 
how, and this is not an advert for like hire former games journalists as your copywriters, mm. game developers, but like, it was like, God, we spent so much time figuring out how to quickly articulate the angle of a game, the thing of a game, the thingness of a game mm. that that, that it becomes starkly apparent that's that, that attitude to like, how do I quickly get across what this thing is about? how do I quickly learn what this thing is about? And then how do I quickly communicate it? It's not something that's actually shared yeah. by broadly in the industry. Like it seems um, obvious, doesn't it? it it's, yeah. No, but you're talking about people who we did this every day. Like, I feel like, I feel like to be a game designer sometimes is to sit at a point place of sort of like, um, both authority and in, like, embarrassed authority outside the industry. Like we don't make these things, but we comment on them, all this stuff. But actually one thing we genuinely do have, I think is an ability to articulate what's interesting about a game relatively quickly. Hmm. And like, um, basically I just wandered into a store page for a game that I'm now obviously clearly attached to because I work on it. It's got so much of me in it now and like, you know, all that stuff. But, um, like just suddenly like turning on the fucking old school PC gamer style guide. Like I'm going to start every sentence in this store page with a verb because games are about verbs. They're not about just flat descriptions and knowing how many indie developers that I respect tremendously and whose work I like make these mistakes. They describe their games in passive terms. They focus on law and they should be focusing on action and, and all this stuff. There's stuff that um, Tom F has always done super well. And like, um, Obviously, making good games is the first step, but Tom has always benefited from the fact that he's approached talking about his games with the eye of a mm. someone who mm. the first part of his career was about quickly and and um, sort of interestingly articulating what's actually exciting about what you do in a game. Like that's a that's a genuine thing to to hold on to, I think. Cause yeah, the first sentence, the first paragraph, grab is is definitely absolutely like, translates to marketing, I suppose. Yeah, it does, and it's not just. I mean, I don't want to make it sound kind of like uh, overly commercial by saying it translates to marketing, but I think it's something to kind of think about because it's like, um, that's like that's that's the time when I'm kind of grateful for that experience, if that makes sense, mm. right? Like, I'm grateful for the fact that like now I've managed to train myself to kind of try and figure out what is like, um imminently and singularly interesting about a game within the first hour with it because that's got you know that's not just about selling an article to another outlet that's now about kind of like keeping up yeah keeping up and mm. getting to the heart of something yeah yeah hmm sorry mm. ramble rumble over but like nonetheless it did come up today so yeah it's not basically we don't need to be ashamed that's we're what not, i'm saying we're not <laughs> <laughs> uh, our final question comes from matthew um, and this is a really good, uh, uh, little bit of fact. Um, so last episode, uh, Tom F was wondering why the Colorado level of Hitman, as in the, the new Hitman, was populated by so many English voice actors. <laughs> um, I may have the answer. I do know that that level was outsourced by IO to Sumo Digital, creators of Snake Pass and Sonic Racing Transformed, no who are based way. in Sheffield. No way. Yeah. So perhaps we are just fortunate that all those Midwestern terrorists don't sound like Sean Bean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To make this a question, Matt writes, um, are there any studios or developers you would like to see make a Hitman level? And if so, where should the level be set? That's a good question. All the best, Matt. Oh, God, that's such a good question. It's so late in the pod. (laughs) Uh, Do you want some more rum? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. That that might help me formulate some... uh, some ideas Alex you got your thinking face on uh, the thing is I'd love to uh, 
Yeah, we're, we're, really, I'm trying really to pour rum and keep this going at the same time. It is a very good question, and Matt will be definitely pleased. Well, like, saying uh, Bre- how good Brendan, it is. Brendan Chung, since we were talking about earlier, Ooh. Brendan oh. Chung in, in yes, Tokyo, you know, Hong Imagine Kong, that. Hong Kong. Yeah. no, it couldn't be. It couldn't be like Hong Kong if it was Brendan Chung. It would have to be like Brendan Chung, but it's in a floating like, kind of islands of uh, a floating kind of South American Hong Kong. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> populated entirely by penguins. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. Um, hmm, that's a really, oh god. That's, that's, a, just, that's a spicy question. That's spicy a spicy. Question. Uh, hmm. So I was thinking of a, like, where, where's the most mundane place that I know a developer is set up and <laughs> for Hitman level to be set there? Ooh, oh, I Creative see. Assembly, Horsham. Horsham. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I've been there a few times in recent weeks. Yeah, me too. That, <laughs> We've all spent a lot of time uh, in Horsham, Horsham. And exclusively because Creative <laughs> Assembly is there. It's a, it's very, it's a very British, um, place in the sense that it's a very small town. Yeah. Uh, surrounded like almost lassoed by ring roads mm. and endless kind of impenetrable traffic lanes and very expensive houses uh, yeah when i was uh, working on that that total warhammer 2 book i ended up doing right like trying to, to basically find some like like pre-trained food in horsham and ended up sort of locked in a kind of ring road endless kfc <laughs> oh, God. possible to escape yeah it's in an island and you you it's very very hard to find the way into the island <laughs> yeah, isn't exactly. it? there are bridges and things but getting to the bridges and there are the, so oh. that's already in an immersive sim that's, that's what you're describing oh. is an impossible you dream to, yeah, you need to find perfect. the vent. i mean obviously yeah. like we're, we're saying ca actually ca should make this because i was going to say that like obviously maybe the total warhammer doesn't apply to this but actually they also made Alien Isolation, yeah, yeah, so they did. Yeah, yeah. I think that that team has gone in many different directions since that. Actually, project. they should make they should make a game where you're being hunted by Agent Forty Seven through Horsham. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you try and lose him in the paper chase, <laughs> or do you flee into a pret a manger, or maybe the coffee shop that doesn't have any food in it because <laughs> they sold out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you going to try yeah, and cross that, that four-lane road that was never designed for humans to be anywhere Dare close to? Dare you brave to? the upper story of the big water stones? There's only one escalator up or down. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, um, <There's>, think <laughs> there aren't many developers creating that type of experience at all. Like, I mean, uh, it'd be tempting to put the d- developers of Deus Ex. Like mankind divided and into... And there are kind of untested ones, like sort of, you know, other world, uh, you know, the people who are buying um, New System Shock and... Um, so Arcane yeah. is an obvious choice for this Arcane's as well. Arcane's a good choice, uh, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, it is obvious, yeah. Edos Montreal. Um, anyone who done a Deus. Anyone's done a Deus. Nintendo. Ooh. Like <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey of Hitman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely in love with them. Um, yeah, yeah, no, Agent 47 in New Donk City. Yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Is it? Or does it, it make probably, no sense? No, it probably isn't. <laughs> Platinum, <laughs> where he's just sort of slashing with a great big sword. Mm. Mm. What, where? Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <Okay>. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Uh, mm. Ooh. Hang on. Someone else keep talking. I've got half of a thing. I've got some dead air here. This is how good the question is. Yeah, I've got... That's thing, isn't it? This will get cut dead out. Making. No, it's fine. I'm not getting anything. Okay. I'm, I'm done with cutting this stuff. This is all real. <laughs> After that half hour, you nobody must know what happened. People know I don't cut stuff from this, because if I did, I'd cut every time I say sort of. 
<laughs> I thought you had an algorithm for that. No, Facebook has an algorithm for that. <laughs> um, I I was going to say I'd really like Ninja Theory to do a Hitman level, but the only it would place have so many feelings in it. the only place it could be set would be inside Agent Forty Seven's childhood. <laughs> <laughs> He's hunting himself, and it, aren't we all? Mm. And that's all the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me think. Oh, we must have a good question. We must we've, have a good, this is such a good question. We've we must done, have a yeah, good answer. we've, we've done that thing where we've got, we've provided like several six out of ten answers to this question. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's have a think. What's a place and who are a developer? Those are the two prim- primary, primary We have to consideration. Cut this. <laughs> no, no, people enjoy a bit of car crash. Um, <laughs> let's think, everybody. What would Rockstar do with that? Yeah, I did think about Rockstar. I want to see um, Double Fine mm. uh, do a kind of uh, Psychonauts-esque take on a Hitman level, which it Interesting. Is, it is a mental space, but is it, and it also, also has all of that kind of imagery, the exaggerated imagery that comes with that mental space, that reflects the paranoia or, you know, concerns the individual you're going into and heisting, uh, but with Hitman mechanics. Do you know where I'd like to have one set? Right. On the Grand Canyon. You know, there, there are those places on the Grand Canyon where they have walkways with sort of glass floor. Oh, yeah. And you have to put a pair of funny little sort of overshoes on. And so you shuffle out over this floor with this sort of unending drop beneath you. And you can like, I'd like to do that. And then you've got like nice rock formations to do hit many things in and you've got places to kill them in crevasses mm. so you could sabotage the shoes or yeah. sabotage the, the bridge well, yeah. I, actually I've got I've got one I've got one right how about the Chinese room make a hitman level out of either everyone's gone to the rapture or dear Esther except the target is another player currently playing those games in their normal form (laughs) so it's like a dark souls invasion yes like a dark souls invasion so (laughs) in all those games where people are like oh this would be terrifying if somebody was hunting me you're playing dear esther you're experiencing the emotional narrative you're enjoying the quality of the acting and the staging and the directing and the beautiful music but you're also being stalked by a bald man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love this in Alien Isolation, a game that is basically <laughs> exactly. most, mostly vents already. It's uh, already got scary bald men. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but then a different scary bald man pops out of a vent <laughs> exactly. with a player username over his head and, uh, and stabs you. Yeah, exactly. Maybe from software to do this in Dark Souls. <laughs> this is a mod waiting for so I think, more than Hebrides and a Shropshire. Chinese room. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Thank God we're done. <laughs> Hopefully that was close enough, Matt. Very good question. And I'm sorry. Barely escape, reached escape velocity on that one, but, yeah. but maybe, maybe we can call for suggestions to be sent. And we it's can a do beautiful yes. idea, yeah, Alex. Yeah. If anyone has, a, yeah. Yes. I mean, I've often thought about pulling the lever marked, just do your own podcast. What do you want? But you know, now is the time. <laughs> after, after. They've experienced five minutes of dead air. (laughs) Honestly, it feels longer than it actually is while it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, So 
<laughs> that's all the podcast we've got time for thank mm. god if you'd like to send us a question uh for a future episode of the podcast you can do so by emailing us questions at creatingcrowbar.com you can also and probably should hang out with our excellent community on discord you can find the link for that on our website creatingcrowbar.com we have a youtube channel youtube.com forward slash creatingcrowbar where you'll find all of our various podcasts and podcast spin-offs Need our Bloodborne playthrough, which will hopefully return soon. Tom, we should talk about that. Yes. And also, this episode of the podcast is supported by our Patreon backers, each of whom is appreciated individually very much. If you'd like to find out more about our Patreon, you can find out that thing that I mentioned just then at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. Finally, if you would like to follow us around as individuals, Facebook, you can, I am on Twitter <laughs> at C Thurston, although I don't use it much. C Thurston at twitter.com. What fuck am I talking about, Tom? <laughs> uh, uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, PCG Ludo, which is at Ludo. Alex? Uh, at rotational. It's the word rotational because I, I never always get the spelling wrong. Yeah. And also I forgot to say that we are collectively at Creighton Crowbar. That's probably the most mm. important one, that's really. One. Good yep. job, me. Anyway, that's it. Bye. 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 Thanks for Bye. listening, Bye. everybody. Bye. Laters.